Chapter 9 of The Queen of Appalachia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Zoinkmeister Patrick. YouTube.com slash Zoinkmeister. The Queen of Appalachia by Joe H. Borders. A surprise for Professor Brownlee. Paul and his queenly companion were up bright and early on the morning following the memorable drowning scene and after a hastily dispatched meal, they bade Uncle Bill adieu and started in the direction given to find the canoe. Paul thought best to evade his friends on account of his mysterious companion, and he asked Uncle Bill to say nothing to them of his whereabouts, giving as his reason that the young woman wanted to return home, and if they knew his plans, they would not like it, and might possibly insist upon his remaining with the party. He gave his promise, and they took their leave. They had not proceeded far, however, before they met Henry King, the only one of the party who had escaped the toils of bad ants. "'Hello, Thornton!' he cried. "'Which way?' "'Good morning, Hank,' was Paul's salutation. "'Where are the rest of the boys?' "'Don't ask me. We struck old Nick himself yesterday, and we all took to the woods like the wind, and I haven't seen one of them since.' "'Oh, then you escaped bad ants. I heard of the capture. They'll be down this morning.' You up the road about a half mile and you'll find a log cabin. Tell Uncle Bill I sent you. Get your breakfast and keep a lookout for the boys. They are to be there pretty soon and will be liberated. I will take this young woman on down to the house. If I don't get back, do not wait for me. I did not mean to allow any of my party to see you, sweetheart, in order to carry out certain plans I was perfecting, and purposely avoided an explanation. Pray make no apologies, Mr. Thornton, she interposed. Four days later, our two young friends alighted from a palace car in a familiar Virginia city, and hastily procured a cab, were rapidly driving up the avenue in the same direction taken by Paul and his college friend nearly six months previous. Arriving at the well-known boarding house unannounced, he led his companion through the open hall door and entered the reception room without the formality of knocking. Fortunately, the room was empty, and he chuckled to himself over the discovery. Make yourself comfortable, sweetheart, while I look up the landlady whispered Paul, making his exit. He found her in the dining room, pleased, yet surprised to see him. I wasn't expecting you, Mr. Thornton. How are you? When did you come? Just this minute, he answered. Can I see you alone for a moment? Why, certainly. Come this way, leading him into the library. You are not like yourself. What is it? In the adjoining room is an angel that I caught the other day while on a hunting trip in the mountains. Who or what she is, I know not. Neither does she. I discovered her in the middle of a stream in a drowning condition, and when restored to consciousness, her mind was a blank. She could remember nothing of her past, and even her name escaped her. She is well educated and speaks our language, and yet I am confident she is not an American. Mr. Thornton, are you putting up a joke on me? How am I to swallow such nonsense? Nothing of the kind, I am speaking the truth. Did I ever tell you a falsehood? But let me finish. I was at a loss what to do with her when I thought of you. I want to engage rooms for her until I can solve the problem of her life. I have great hopes that eventually her memory will be restored. This is the most wonderful thing I ever heard of, she said. I must see her. One thing more. Do not, under any circumstance, mention to anyone what I have told you. Do you promise? I promise, she replied. In the hall, Paul encountered his old chum, who was greatly astonished at seeing him, and especially so when he noted the hunting costume. I'll be up in a moment, apologized Paul in a hurried greeting, passing on with the landlady. Brownie never noticed, 
He was in a deep study. I wonder what brings him here so suddenly that he didn't have time to change his dress, he mused. Deuced queer, he said, slowly climbing the stairs. Paul came bounding in a few moments later and poured into Brownlee's ears a thrilling story that would not have passed muster if poured from other lips. He knew Thornton was not capable of deception, and he was so filled with amazement over the recital that his lips refused to move and he continued to sit there, utterly speechless. Thornton, the story sounds rather fishy, to use a slang expression, but I am inclined to believe it, supported as it is by her presence. I must see her, I must say, the narrative took my breath away. What are your plans? I want your advice, old man. Then give me an opportunity to converse with the young woman. She may be a fraud, Thornton. You must remember we are living in a fast age. Impossible in this case, Brownlee. Do not jump at conclusions. Delay your verdict until you know more of her. I will arrange for an interview. The good landlady went into raptures over the young woman, and after taking her to a prettily furnished room on the second floor, and personally attending to her immediate wants, she sallied forth with Paul's $50 bill to a fashionable shopping district, where she was able to make purchases as were necessary for the Mystic Queen, and when the young lady appeared in the drawing room later, Paul hastened to meet and to congratulate her upon the pleasant change in her costume. You are so rapidly increasing my obligations that I will have to beg of you to desist, Mr. Thornton. I am afraid I shall never be able to discharge them, she said in her sweetest tones. Remember your promise, sweetheart, leading her to a divan. Promise, she repeated inquiringly, to fully acquiesce in all my plans, then under consideration, my dear Mr. Thornton, which did not include future plans and obligations that may prove burdensome to you. Let us change the subject, sweetheart. I have a few friends here I want you to meet, and in order to introduce you, I must adopt a name, she interrupted. That has been my only worry from the first. It is humiliating. I am pained more than you imagine over the fact that I cannot remember my own name. It is extremely embarrassing. Suggest a name, Mr. Thornton, but I want you to retain for your own use the old name that you christened me at first. Sweetheart will ever be a sacred name on my memory tablet. With pleasure, he replied, raising her hand to his lips, a courtesy she acknowledged with stately mien. Call me by any name you choose, Mr. Thornton, in addressing your friends. By the way, you leave me tomorrow. How lonesome I will be. But you promise to return in a week. That will give me something to look forward to with pleasure. You will be among loving friends, sweetheart, else I would not think of going away. I have no right to monopolize your time, Mr. Thornton. You have business that no doubt demands your personal attention, and I don't want you to think I am so selfish as to keep you away from your friends at home. At the same time, do not forget that I will anxiously await your return. A knock at the door ended the tete-a-tete, and Mr. Brownlee was admitted and introduced to the fair stranger when the conversation became general and the evening passed all too briefly. End of chapter 9. Recording by Zoinkmeister Patrick. YouTube.com slash Zoinkmeister.